Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. We are thrilled to have you with us, and uh, I am filling in for Michael and Diane Brodeur. My name is John Bootsma, currently based out of Kansas City. Uh, Canadian boy, spent a lot of time in Toronto with Catch the Fire up there. But Leaders Alliance really is a is a ministry and serves as a catalyst to really release kingdom valued people, men and women in the marketplace, in the church. How do we fulfill, how do we see fulfilled the Great Commission uh, wherever we are, that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. And uh, just realizing that we're the ones that are partnering with the Lord filled with the spirit of God. And uh, so we have different guests that come on at different times. And uh, today will be no different. I'm excited to be welcoming uh, my friend, actually, David Smock, who is currently living in Pittsburgh. Formerly, I first met him in Baltimore, spent some time with him in Raleigh, he and his wife, Merrill, and very much grew to appreciate them. And I know you will as well. So um, let's just welcome David Smock onto our podcast today. And uh, David, uh, one of the things about David and uh, and his wife, who's not with him, unfortunately, today, she's in Scotland, which is great, getting some prophetic ministry and training. But uh, David, when I've seen you in operation and action, I'm like, here's a man that is very versatile, uh, really <laughs> loves people, known as a pastor for, for many years, uh, church planter, discipleship, evangelism, and just loaded with wisdom. So I'm always very inspired when I hang out with you, David, and I believe today will be no different. But I want to turn it over to you and you just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story, perhaps, and then we're going to get yeah. into some different things in that regard. <clears throat> well, John, you gave me a lot to live up to here on uh, a 45-minute call. <laughs> you can do it, David. Uh, yeah, so uh, you do a little bit about my story. Um, I actually, uh, I am married to an amazing prophetic evangelist who she was going to be on this call. Michael had originally asked her to be part of it, but she's actually in Glasgow, Scotland uh, with Emma Stark right now. Um, so um, she will hopefully be watching this at some point today. And so hi, baby. <laughs> Love you. Uh, our anniversary is in two, two, uh, two days. It'll be 10 years. So, wow, congratulations. um, yeah, so I, uh, you know, I came to Christ, uh, in college with zero background in any knowledge of really God or Jesus or, or anything. I was, I, I'm one of those people that is evidence that not everyone in the United States knows about Jesus. Um, 19 years old, uh, clueless. Uh, someone told me about Jesus, um, began reading the Bible, and then Jesus walked into my bedroom, uh, 19 years of age, said, believe in me, and I, I gave my life to Christ. And I think for me, part of the, my story is that has placed such a passion in me to see the world know. Uh, and not just to see the world know, but to see um, America know, to see the Western world know that, that God exists, that, that uh, there is a savior, that his name is Jesus, because, you know, that was my story. Um, my wife has a very similar story. She was 29 years old, Jewish background, 
you know, you ask a Jew, you know, what do you think of Jesus? Their typical response is, I don't, I don't have thoughts of Jesus. So, you know, again, another person who was, uh, you know, just uh, radically encountered, um, you know, in America was someone who maybe had heard the name Jesus, but didn't know what it was all about. So that, that is kind of a foundation for me. And I uh, worked in the corporate world for 10 years, uh, about halfway into my uh, corporate experience, I had a revelation. I never asked Jesus what he wanted me to do. And um, when you have that revelation and you ask that question, watch out for what the answer is going to be. <laughs> because uh, I think it was uh, the following Sunday, I was in a church service and the pastor stopped the message in the right in the middle. He said, I believe there's someone here that the Lord is calling you to, to missions. And, uh, you know, I don't know who that is, but uh, at the end of the service, if you want to come forward and I'm looking around to say like, who, what, where, you know, but I actually knew that that was the Lord answering my prayer of what uh, he wanted me to do. And so moved my, my wife and kids uh, outside of New York City, went to seminary, was preparing to go overseas as a missionary with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, a strong uh, evangelical Bible-believing denomination. Uh, actually, the CMA, a lot of people don't know this, but the CMA was actually rooted in revival. The Christian Missionary Alliance was rooted in revival, came out of a revival in the late 1800s, uh, I like to say that uh, A.B. Simpson was the Bill Johnson, uh, John and Carol Arnott, uh, you know, Heidi Baker, Roland Baker of the 1800s. And he used to run with people like that. And so that's how the CMA was birthed. Um, I know, and, and I agree with a lot of people, I think the CMA lost some of its grounding, but I'm actually here in Western Pennsylvania re-engaging with the CMA with a bunch of people that have actually experienced tangible renewal and revival in the last eight, seven to eight years, a bunch of young people. I'll tell a little bit more about that story, uh, but yeah. So uh, I was going to go overseas as a missionary with a CMA, um, went from seminary to outside of Washington, DC, became the associate pastor of a uh, Christian mission Alliance church outside of Washington, DC and was made the minister to internationals. If you know Washington DC, large international population and um, in a crazy, crazy way through like, all I can say is signs and wonders and miracles, uh, planted a Japanese church out of this Caucasian American church uh, in, in uh, Maryland outside of DC. Um, crazy story we had a we had a woman who um she was diagnosed or she had a a, a big softball sized tumor in her stomach and we prayed for her and when they went in to do the surgery the tumor was gone come on and you have someone like that who's not a believer and you say to them do you want to know the jesus that just healed you and they 100 percent of the time they say yes and so that was the birth of this japanese ministry um we also uh, reached out to a, a man who was a Japanese pastor outside of New York City, invited him to come down and kind of lead it, because I, I know no Japanese. Uh, Konnichiwa, hazame mashite, de bedo desu. Like, 
<laughs> don't even ask me what I said. I don't. I don't know what I said. But anyway, so uh, I know. I know. I don't know Japanese. So we. Uh, I'm like, we need a Japanese pastor. Go up to New York City. He looks at me. Says, in New York City, we have. I don't know. Let's just say, you know, seven hundred and fifty thousand Japanese expats in New York City. In Washington DC, you have 25,000 Japanese expats. Why would I leave New York City to come to Washington DC to take over this small uh, Japanese uh, Bible study that you were leading at the time? And I said, I don't know, just come, come and visit. So we, his name was Jinichi. We sat outside our door. The reason I'm telling you this is I, I, there's something resonating in me. It's resonated inside of me for a very long time that we've got to get to signs and wonders in church planting. Come on, David, absolutely. That we've got to plant churches with signs and wonders. We have to affirm the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel with signs and wonders. And so we're sitting across this um, uh, building where all these Japanese people lived, and I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, if you want Junichi to come here and pastor this church, give us someone tonight from this building to come to our English language classes that we were doing and make them ask to study the Bible. And I, I just, it just came out of me. I'm, and then after I prayed that prayer, I was like, oh man, like that's, oh, how the heck is that gonna happen? You know, I started to, to doubt, uh, but literally that night there was a couple that came to our ESL classes. They were, they were uh, Japanese. And we had this sign-up sheet, and at the bottom of the sign-up sheet was, "Do you want to um, do you want to study the Bible?" Hundred percent of all the Asian people that would come into our ESL classes, they would not check that box, and the reason is because they want to save face. So they didn't say no, and they didn't say yes. They just wouldn't check it. Well, this Japanese couple checked the box, yes. Then I asked them, well, where did they live? And they, sh they sh um, wrote their address down and it was the exact building that we were sitting outside of. Wow. The next day we went to visit them in that apartment building. Their apartment was the exact apartment that our car was sitting in front of. And so right then and there, I realized that church planning is supernatural. Yeah. That I can have all the plans and I can put together all the strategy, but if if there's not a supernatural move of God, that at least in my life, at least in my life, the the churches are going to be planned. So um, my wife and I we set out to begin to plant um, churches supernaturally. We were ready to go overseas, and uh, my first wife uh, at the time um, she uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so we took over a small church outside of Washington, D.C. of about 24 people. We redeveloped the church. We grew the church. It became a, an amazing, vibrant church. But four years into that journey, my first wife died of brain cancer. Mm. And so that was, uh, that was a shock. You know, it, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I went through grief. You know, yeah. I, I went through struggles. I went through that pain. I, I experienced that. My kids experienced that pain. My kids to this day still experience that pain. Still in me, there's a little piece of, of that pain that, the, that is still there. So what that afforded me the opportunity to do though was uh, to actually step down from pulpit ministry at this church that we turned around outside of Washington, DC. Yeah. 
and um, and begin to ask God, God, what new thing do you have for us? And in the process of that, I was sitting in my study and I was crying out to God. I was like, God, what do you want from me? You know, mm. and uh, he says, uh, and, and part of it was like, Lord, I don't, I'm not saying no to you. I said yes to you. I just don't know the yes that I said yes to. Right. And literally like, you know, as God is my witness, he not in visual form, but he came into my study and he said to me, I'm asking you to love and I'm asking you to love well. And that more than anything set a course for the rest of my life. I, I uh, went to the board of the church that I was pastoring. I had two kids. They were demanding a lot of my time. The church was demanding a lot of my time. I realized that there was probably another pastor who could come after me and he could love the church the way the church needed to be loved, but I needed to love my kids. And so I uh, stepped down, began to pour into my kids and then just had this, this beating in my heart, this beating in my heart for the broken and the hurting and the, and the, the people, the marginalized, the people that no one else wanted, no one else would go to. And so, um, I was in, in the Washington DC area. I'm thinking, well, where, where do those people live? Where are they at? And like in a crazy, crazy way, I'm looking at a map and I see Washington DC, I see Annapolis and I see Baltimore and I see a triangle in my mind's eye falling on this map. One part of the triangle is in DC, one part is in Annapolis and one part is in Baltimore. So I said, great, I'll go to, I'll go to DC. That'll be amazing. You know? So go down to DC to check it out. And the Lord says, no. And I'm like, ah, oh, Annapolis. I love Annapolis by the water, sailing capital of the world. And I went to Annapolis and the Lord said, no. So then I'm like, ah, oh, not Baltimore, you know, but uh, yeah. So in a crazy, just divine providential way ended up in Baltimore, Maryland on the streets of Baltimore and began connecting with um, the, the drug addicts, the, the homeless, the Crips, the Bloods, the Black Gorilla family, White Men Incorp Dead Man Incorporated, uh, the strippers from the Red Light District, and began to connect with them in this park in downtown Baltimore. And crazy, crazy supernatural signs and wonders started to break out among this group of people that used to hang out in the inner city of Baltimore. Uh, the first thing that uh, ever happened was there was a man who had fallen and broken his ribs and uh, he was homeless. He was a uh, meth addict. He was goth. He had a boyfriend. Um, he was the person that no one would talk to, no one would interact with. Um, and I went over to him. He was bent over in pain. I went over and said, can I pray for you? And I prayed for him. God healed his ribs so that he was running around the park with his hands over his head saying, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me. Wow. And that started what became known as Church in the Park, which was this amazing church um, that turned into multiple missional communities in the inner city of Baltimore. That's where, that's where you guys came and, and you met us there in Baltimore as part of Catch the Fire. Uh, well, that, that was part of, uh, again, that was part of this uh, evangelical denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. But I'd also had opportunity to go out to Bethel and connect with people out there. I'd had opportunity to connect with people at IHOP and 
I really was going after the presence of God, going after the fullness of his spirit, going after the things that he wanted to do in the world. And, um, and so uh, let's take a step back, even 2009, right around that time, I had this crazy encounter with this tall, thin uh, British gentleman by the name of Duncan Smith who came to the Fredericksburg Prayer Furnace where I was hanging out and did a conference. And a lot of this was new to me, even though like it, it fit into my theology, but not my experience. And he came down off of the stage as I'm going forward to receive prayer. Our eyes met, he comes up to me, lays hands on me, and I go completely out for 35 minutes and have an encounter with the Father and an encounter with his love. Mm. And the Lord, super invaded my soul, my being. And I, I marked that moment as a huge moment of the final healing of the process for me, of the journey that I had been in. So and so like Catch the Fire was like always, always there, always in our thought process. And and then we, we uh, Georgian and Winnie Banoff, some of you know Georgian and Winnie, they found out what we were doing in Baltimore. They invited us up to their school. Uh, we went to, uh, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, and Turkey with him on a, on a missions trip. While we're in Turkey, Georgian approaches me about what would it what would it look like to bring church in the park under their ministry? And so we big huge hug together, and and they ordained my wife Merrill and commissioned me, and we became part of Georgian Banoff's ministry. And if you know Georgian and Winnie Banoff, like. It's a, it, it, their, their ministry is called Global Celebration. It's a celebration. And so we would just start celebrating in this park in Baltimore. And people would look around like, who are these crazy people that are dancing and spinning and, and all this other stuff? And it's just a, an amazing, amazing experience. But what that did was it caused other people who were coming by this park to see these crazy people in this park and they would pull off on the side of the road. They'd come into the park. They say, what the heck is going on here? What are you guys doing? And I'm like, well, why do you ask? Like, and we literally, we would have this over and over again. Well, you know, the funny thing, I was in pain, but now that I'm standing here, my pain is gone. Come on. Like, the, the pain isn't here anymore. We had a, we had an, uh, a man who came and he could barely walk. He was in full HIV and AIDS. He had sores all over his body. He had uh, the uh, uh, neuropathy in his feet from being a diabetic and, and he couldn't walk. And we prayed for him. His pain went away. He starts walking around the park. And the next week he comes to the park and he's a totally different person. Looks totally different. The sores on his hands and his face are starting to heal. Uh, a month later, he shows us the blood results that they can't find any sign of HIV in his blood. Ooh. The other beautiful thing about this is this, this homeless man, we helped him to find his family up in uh, Niagara Falls, um, uh, New York. And so that Thanksgiving, uh, day before Thanksgiving, I drove him up to Niagara Falls, uh, New York, so he could reunite with his family. These are just a few of the amazing miracles that God was doing. Yeah. But you would think that the target was these homeless people for this church plant. But here's the thing about all these people on the street. They actually were our friends. Like these were the people that we loved. Yeah. Like these were the ones that Meryl and I actually invited into our home. Wow. Uh, oh, and to, to go back, I, I, I got ahead of myself. 
as I was doing this ministry on the streets, I started connecting with a small group, uh, house church uh, in um, in Baltimore. And um, my wife, Meryl Smock, uh, is the, or my current wife, Meryl, was there and we meet. She starts hanging out with me on the streets. We become good friends and, and we get married. And a beautiful, beautiful love story of uh, on the day of our wedding, we had our homeless friends and our stripper friends wow. and our broken friends. They were all with us on the day that we got married. And God just shows up in a, in a crazy way uh, during our wedding ceremony. So, yeah, so we, we just had um, this idea that people would think, well, this is your target. No, these are my, this is my church. These are, these are my friends. These are people I have in my home. Uh, and then uh, what we would have, though, is we would have professionals who thought, wow, that's really cool. You feed the homeless. I'd like to come feed the homeless. And you'd have professionals, mortgage bankers, real estate agents, doctors, lawyers come to this park in downtown Baltimore, see God do something miraculous. And in that process of doing something miraculous, do a miraculous change in them, mm. uh, making them want what just happened in this park. Yeah. And so our target wasn't, it was the, the homeless were our friends. The target was the professionals. <laughs> and so out of this, we formed this church of, of multiple missional communities. Well, then uh, about 2019, uh, we went to Toronto's 25th anniversary um, and just had crazy. My wife and I both had a crazy encounters with the Holy Spirit at the 25th anniversary of the Toronto outpouring, the Father's love. And uh, that's where we met. John and Patricia Bootsma for the first time. It's a good uh, day. That was a good day. day. (laughs) And so uh, soon after that, we had this meeting of our leadership team in Baltimore, and we were really, we were going after raising up missionaries. That was our heart, raise up missionaries. And literally all 10 of our leadership came to us and said, we believe God is calling us to somewhere else in the world to take what is happening here in Baltimore and do it there. And we're like, well, I don't think God is doing that <laughs> because that means you're leaving. And uh, so we were we were like in this crisis of faith moment. And uh, uh, John and, uh, and Patricia prophesies over us. She says, you know, I really feel like the Lord is just calling you to get off the field of battle right now, to get down to Raleigh, North Carolina, hang out at uh, this apostolic resource church of Catch the Fire Raleigh. And so uh, we had three other people gave us a similar word, didn't know that they were each giving us this word. And so we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, came on staff at the Catch the Fire Raleigh, got to hang out with John and Patricia a lot more because you guys were down there. And then while we're down there, we just hear over and over these prophetic words. Patricia, again, you know, these prophetic words of, we just feel like you're supposed to plant again. You're supposed to plant again. You're supposed to plant again. You're supposed to plant another church. And so we, we went to the leadership of, of, of Catch the Fire, and, and uh, they were in agreement. And then we ha- I get this phone call from the CMA group in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that is experienced a young group of young adults that's experiencing renewal and revival. Seven years ago, 
they were so desperate, they began to fast and pray for God to show up. And I'm kidding you not, God showed up and he continues to show up among these evangelical charismatic young people in a very crazy way. Well, their thought process wasn't let's have church every night. Instead, it was like, how do we go out to the streets every night? And literally this has turned into a network of about 3,500 people <laughs> that this young adult group hands have touched over the last seven years. Uh, $3.5 million go through their hands to do ministry. So good. Um, just uh, just the, this past Sunday, a uh, small worship service that we were having in an offsite campus location. The Holy Spirit shows up in this worship service. People are weeping, sobbing. Um, the first Sunday of, of January at the big um, campus, um, we just worshiped. We worshiped for two and a half hours. And people are encountering God in like tangible ways of his manifest presence. And so this church invites Meryl and I to come and be a mother and father to help steward this revival that's happening in, um, in, um, in Pittsburgh. So that's why we're here. We're here. Um, we are uh, praying about planting a church. We are coming alongside these young adults, developing a microchurch model for church planting and um, beginning to see that implemented. Uh, a key part of that is um, making disciples who make disciples, raising leaders, or raising leaders who will make leaders. So that we're not about it, the, a key component of what we're trying to do through this microchurch model, which I'm not, I'm not opposed to megachurch model. Uh, I'm not, Everything has to be microchurch model. I believe that there are different flavors and that, that God wants to use it all. But right now we're using this microchurch model to actually raise up and put missionaries in every single neighborhood along the Ohio River Valley who will establish a microchurch in every neighborhood of every town in all these former steel towns along the Ohio River Valley so that the gospel will saturate the Ohio River Valley and his glory will be manifest and poured out. That's our vision. That's kind of where we're going. So I know that was a lot, but I, you know, people have told me like, don't shorten up your story. There's so much of my story that I'll need three or four more podcasts to tell. But I think that's the same with all of us, right, John? Yes, but that is an amazing story, David, because what I'm hearing from you is, is that you've been not only through the valley of the shadow of death, you've been through great grief, but yet in that place, the anointing and the authority and the capacity to love and the vision from the father to love, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually very inspired, but also challenged by what you are sharing of being in Baltimore. You said it on several occasions. These guys are our friends. They're our yeah. friends. And if, and if I yeah. want to picture, you know, if Jesus came to, America in the 21st century, you know, what would he do? And, and I don't doubt he would do so much of what you're doing. I mean, I also believe he would be with not just the quote unquote down and outers, but he'd also be with the up and outers. And yes, that's, and right. that's right. But he'd be multiplying yeah. himself. But it just, um, I mean, I have, I want our listeners to know, I have witnessed yourself and Merrill in action. And once again, <laughs> it has challenged me in a, in a really good way because 
you know, you you really in in this sense, David, you just so carry the heart of Jesus. Hmm. In that I've seen you love these people. I've seen Meryl, you know, the 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 hyper evangelist as it were. She's not a hyper person, but you know, just going out there. Uh, she can be hyper. <laughs> well, it's not for me to say. Let's put it that way. I love Meryl, and um, but it it's so good. And so what I'm hearing is such a well rounded approach where it's a fivefold in operation at different levels. It's the evangelism. It's the discipleship. It's the church planning. It's the recognition of micro and macro and, and, and what it all looks like. So I'd love to, you know, I, I want you to continue on in your story, but yeah. um, I want you to know that what you're saying is very touching. And my prayer is, is that, Lord, let let the body of Christ lay a hold of this message, you know, that we really are dead. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God and that he loves these people that in our hearts, sometimes it's easy for it could be very easy for us to say, well, we're not going there for whatever, but Jesus just broke every socioeconomic barrier and and did it all. And so it's yeah. it's, it's good, David. It's really, really I, I'm I'm touched and blessed by what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think one of the things, um, well, a couple of things, the Lord really um, has been speaking to me about just the need for many models. You know, a need for many expressions, because if you if you think of even the urban context in the U.S., it's very tribal. And for each of these tribes to really have a gospel witness inside of it, there there needs to be many models, you know, not every model of church, not every form of church. And and the idea, I think that's why in in some cases there was I'm going to say there was a very built out ecclesiology in the New Testament. But I think there was a very much uh, of things that weren't in the New Testament because the Lord wanted us to be free to take this built ecclesiology and give it whatever expression it needs to have. So the saying among some is, is this I have Christology leads to missiology, which leads to ecclesiology. Unfortunately, a lot of churches in their denominational structures develop an ecclesiology that they force their missiology out of. So their missiology is planting a church like our denominational churches or planting a church like the mother church, you know, grafting off and being just like mom. But what I what I I've just embraced this idea. And I think a lot of it is because I had the opportunity in Baltimore and and in Washington, D.C. to be somewhat of the research and development arm of the CMA. <laughs> so, you know, I just I just have had the freedom to to try different things. Some of that is because of the need for different funding models. So my particular funding models, yeah, we do receive funds from people who donate to us and support us. But um, my wife and also both bivocational. I have a, a, a leadership coaching business that supports a lot of what a lot of what we do, you know, and, and right now uh, I work for a company that provides clients to me, uh, executive clients, business owners. Uh, you know, I can't give you a name or, or tell you a lot about it, but there's a, a large tunnel boring business in the United States. And I'm actually one of, uh, I, I coach their, uh, their ex- corporate executives, you know? So I'm just trying to help you to see, like, even to the point of different funding models to actually plant churches. And the idea of leadership, coaching, and discipleship is like fits like this. 
because what I'm doing with these non non Christians around in different places is I'm actually discipling them. Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely. I'm, I'm helping. I'm helping them to find their place. I'm helping them to to connect with something that's outside of them, to learn to connect with themselves such that they can connect with people outside of themselves. And so the whole idea of leadership coaching is, for me, is a, is a good piece. I'm not saying every church planner should be a leadership coach, but I'm saying that church planners today may need to think of ulterior funding options, different ways that you can actually have an impact in your community and in your neighborhood that you wouldn't normally have. And so a lot of that's because I believe I believe strongly that there's a place for different different types of churches. You know, Michael Berdur, uh, he shares this a lot with us on Leaders Alliance. But uh, this word from Bob Jones of a billion soul harvest was Bob Jones, right? I, th I think it was Bob Jones. Yes, it was Bob. Idea of, yes. You know, a billion soul harvest. Well, a billion soul harvest requires ten million churches to harvest this billion soul harvest. We don't have enough churches. I mean, the churches that we have actually are taking care of their flocks, which is great, but we need new churches, new ministries that will be able to gather this fruit of the harvest so that it doesn't rot, right? That's right. That's right. There's going to be a billion soul harvest. We need new wineskins that will host this new wine of the billion soul harvest. Think of the billion souls, every grape. Every one of those billion is a grape on the vine yeah, being pressed into wine to be held into this new wine skin. And so we've got to come up. So that's a lot of what, that's a lot of what we're doing here in um, outside of Pittsburgh. We're looking at different wine skins and the one wine skin that we're really diving into a lot is a missional community model, a micro church model, which uh, ultimately is this idea that you, you come alongside someone and you teach them to pray and to fast and, and to seek God for their neighborhood, their community, or their network of relationships. And then as you're coming alongside of them, teaching them to pray and fast, you're teaching them to actually listen for the voice of God, listen to the directions from God, either from his word or, or just in prayer or the prophetic, and then be obedient to the things that you're hearing him say. Yes. So that you're actually growing into yourself being a disciple who now can turn around and make disciples. And so what we're doing with this micro church movement is it's, it's a disciple making movement. It's a, it's a movement of disciple makers who make disciples. Um, I, I challenged uh, on the, on the hub podcast, I challenged the church catalyst group with this, this one thing. It's like Matthew 28 uh, is at 19 through 20. All authority has been given unto me to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Well, that all that I've commanded, the context there is the making of disciples is part of the all that I've commanded. So a disciple should also be commanded to make a disciple who will make a disciple, who will make a disciple, who will make a disciple. And instead, unfortunately, there's so much in the church today. And again, don't, don't hear me as coming down on the church. I'm just speaking prophetically, maybe, if I will. But, but, but a lot of the church today is about making churches. 
yeah. making churches, making churches, making churches, making churches. But, but what if we got serious about making this up? So you come alongside someone, you teach them to pray, you teach them to fast, you teach them to hear from God. And then you have, we go on prayer walks around the neighborhood. And when we do prayer walks, we're not staying on street corner. You know, like casting out demons. Yeah, that may happen. But for our prayer walks is walking, we're looking for the people that we're coming into contact with. And just generally coming up to them, asking them questions. Hey, how can we pray for you? We're just out in the neighborhood praying. How can we pray for you? Mm-hmm. And in doing that process, you find people of peace in a neighborhood. Yeah. So you're raising up a missionary to be in a neighborhood who then finds a person of peace in the neighborhood. Once you find this person of peace in a neighborhood, yeah. what you do is you have that person of peace invite their sphere of relationship to hear more about what you have to say. And then we bring them into these Bible studies called the Discovery Bible Studies. Now, everything that I'm sharing with you is this is if you've watched the movie um, Sheep Among Wolves, this yeah. is at the core of Sheep Among Wolves. If you understand what has happened in Africa and India and even some of the urban contexts of, of Europe and the United States, this is what is happening. A discovery Bible study is where you discover what Jesus is asking of you. That's at the core. It's yeah. a Bible study where you're discovering what Jesus is asking of you. So there's a story of, a, of a, um, the topic was uh, John chapter uh, 3, verse 16. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so at the end of every study, we have this idea where it's like we have everyone just take a moment, think, ask God. If you're a Christian, it's okay. Just feel like you can ask him. But what do you think Jesus is asking of you in this moment? And this girl who was not a believer, this was her response. I feel like God is saying to, I feel like Jesus is saying to me that I need to believe in him to have eternal life. So good. Now, here's what she wrote. She wrote, I don't fully know that I can do that right now, but what I believe Jesus wants me to do is find out more about it. And then within three or four weeks, this girl gives her life to Christ. Yeah. So you're just, it's, so it's an obedience-based discipleship model. Um, And then once you have three or four or five people together this missionary now has a church they have a group of people that are meeting not just meeting to gather but meeting to actually impact the neighborhood that they're in doing prayer walks praying for people that they come up to sharing sharing the gospel praying for the sick seeing god do signs and wonders um this is a this is a we we here we see this as a signs and wonders movement not just an obedience-based discipleship movement but a signs and wonders movement because we believe that signs and wonders testify to the preaching of the gospel. So we pray for people who are sick and we expect God to heal them. Um, So yeah, that's, uh, I know you had wanted a little bit about the the model of kind of what we're doing. And again, uh, I would say, I would say we have right now, we have, uh, we have about, 30 what we call missional outposts along the Ohio River Valley. 
And uh, each of those missional outposts is in their own way trying to impact whatever their sphere of inf uh, relationships are. Some of them are kingdom businesses. Some of them are micro churches. Some of them are nonprofit uh, community development entities, all trying to live with where the leaders are living a missional life, discipling others to live a missional life. Right. And, and so be it, you win the whole Ohio Valley, Ohio River Valley, you see Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's what we're going after. Yeah, well, you we know, don't describe those days of small beginnings, right? But yeah. It's, so I'll, it's tell you, I'll tell you a little story of how God brings things around and around and around and around. But um, I didn't, I don't know if I shared this, but the church, this church that experienced revival seven years ago was the church that my first wife was, she was, she was in utero member of that church. Like she was probably conceived the Wednesday night after the Wednesday prayer meeting of this church. That's great. Like, That's great. But this was, this was her home church, but this was also was a church that had gotten away from a tangible, intimate relationship with God. It had gotten around teaching. It had gotten around, not teaching, but I mean, teaching for teaching's sake. Right. And it was yeah. a place where there was a lot of division and, and I remember like I would have PTSD coming and visiting this church because I'd be in the parking lot and my, my heart is racing because I'm like, man, this is just such a messed up church. And, uh, but these young people, they, they seriously began to actually pray into some prophetic words that were given that God was going to show up in revival. Crazy thing is hey. 10 years ago, my wife, gave a prophetic word to this church that God was going to bring revival that my, my new wife, Meryl Smock, yes, yes, Patty yes. Smock, who gave a prophetic word and they began to pray into this prophetic word. And two years later, the Holy Spirit started showing up in this, in this church. Only God. So good. And then, uh, probably around that same time, I'm in Baltimore and I have a vision of the Ohio River coming out of Pittsburgh. And I see this prayer and worship community rising up out of the Ohio River Valley. And I see the Ohio River Valley, the river set ablaze with fire. And then I see that fire go down into the heartland of America and America set on fire with revival. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, that's really good. But God, I'm here in Pittsburgh. But now my wife and I, we're actually here in Ohio. I'm sorry, we're here in Pittsburgh. We're, yeah. We were in Baltimore. I was like, yeah, God, Pittsburgh. we're in Baltimore. But now we're actually in Pittsburgh. We're in this place where revival is happening. And we're actually seeing these fires mm -hmm. of revival continue to be set and continue to spread as people are being, are, are being made into disciples who make disciples. Yeah into missional leaders who raise up missional leaders yeah. who extend the church from here to wherever God wants it to, to, to be extended. Yeah, yeah, and extends the kingdom. And, uh, and what I love about what you're saying too, David, is that it doesn't matter what your, what your medium is. It doesn't matter what perhaps the, the channel is. I mean, people yeah, that are- yeah. Hold on a second. Wherever uh, it is. Yeah. you're going to get 
okay, we're getting faster internet. If you plug this yeah, in, I think we're hearing something else. I'll just keep going. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what people's work line is, what their background is. They just engage this. And it's like, you could work for the government. You could work in a factory. You could be a homemaker. You could be clergy in the church. This is really embracing the, the very raw material, the core of the message of Jesus, because ultimately it's make disciples. Talking about Matthew 28 again, make disciples, make disciples yeah. of all nations, all ethnos. So you started with, you know, making a, you were, you were a, a making disciples of Japanese, planting a Japanese church. And yet now a whole nation can be one because it is the simplicity of a vision that we have the wine. But now we need the wine skin and just to be able to function and operate together. But if we really get to the point where we're being discipled, we disciple others who make disciples, you know, it really is a multi-generational model that gives us hope for the nation once again. So I, yeah, I come on, saying, David, I really, um, I, I so honor, I, I'm so excited about the way the Lord has planted you and put you in there in this grand story that, you know, you thought yeah. maybe you were a little outside of, but here you are in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing too is this fits with, you know, this is a Leaders Alliance podcast, but it <clears throat> this really fits with a lot of, you know, just say what's on the heart of, of Catch the Fire leaders, you know, uh, what's on the heart uh, with, you know, you yourself, you and, and Patricia are planting a church. Yes, like you are. guys could have done this podcast, John. <laughs> like well, Your you story know. is your story. So, it's powerful. But I, but I think that the thing is, like, this fits with uh, with uh, Michael's vision for Leaders Alliance, right? Yeah. That yeah. we're actually extending our influence. Leadership, yeah. John Maxwell, I'm a John Maxwell certified coach. A lot of my executive coaching is, is John Maxwell. Yep. John Maxwell says this, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So Leaders Alliance has to be about how are we going to influence people to go to the next place, yeah. to grow to grow what God is doing here so that the next place can be reached, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much longer we have. Do we have like maybe yeah. a couple minutes or? We have a couple minutes and I'd love to have you just pray a blessing and, you know, even an yeah. impartation, David, of what you carried as we wrap up, but let's start to wrap up, but yeah, share whatever is on your heart. And then so we can, you know, I just, you know, I'll, I'll try to get through this quick, but I just, I just had a, a word that I think like God wants to release here. And app, I, I did this on the hub, but Habakkuk 214. Yeah. For the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That was in the old Testament. But you know what? That has its that has its manifestation in this age. Yes. And some people would say that, well, that's for the age to come. But I believe no. I believe that's part of the now. That's yeah. not yet. Yeah. And right. I believe that we are glory carriers. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians one twenty seven. This yeah. mystery, which had been hidden from ages past, but is now revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Randy Clark helped me to see this a number of years ago. Like, it's not talking about when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven. What a day I rejoice now. No, it's like glory now. That's correct. It's like we are glory carriers. The Toronto Revival, 1994, glory carriers, people who are broken and hurting, 
getting healed up by a revelation of the Father's love. And now you have Heidi Baker planting 10,000 churches in Mozambique. You have Leif Hetland having a crazy ministry in the Middle East. Yeah, we have all these stories of what God is doing. And so the, the church pastor, the church pastor approaches it this way, which is okay. This is actually okay. Here's how the church pastor approaches it. I want these here to know the glory of the Lord. Come Holy Spirit. But here's how a, a church planter approaches it. I want those over there yeah. to know. Yeah. I want you to come upon them. I want those who have not yet heard. You know, it says that church planning is the best way to see people come to Christ. And, and I think it is. But you know what? The Lord revealed to me that church planning is the best way that the Lord has given for the glory of the Lord to be manifest all over the earth. Yeah. Amen. Church planting is the extension of the kingdom, and we've got to be about church planting. Yeah. We've got to plant churches. We've yeah. got to figure out how to plant churches. No, and my hope and my heart is that I can, I can, I'm willing to be a catalyst for that. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Well, tell me, tell us real quickly, and I know we're kind of running over time, but give us a brief rundown on just your ecclesiology then. Just a step form on some of that what you think it looks like and then and that's maybe impossible it's like that's not a, that's a big topic not a short topic but so you know i think that there's a lot in in the scripture that that speaks to um you know speaks to our ecclesiology but there's a lot of things that we do in churches that we don't find in in the scriptures and i'm not saying it's wrong i'm not saying that the things that we do are wrong but what we may need to rethink is if there are things that are clearly revealed that we don't do, then are we being disobedient to what we should do? Very good. I'm not saying that a lot of the things that we do are wrong. They're just extra biblical. I don't know that they're non-biblical, but we got to have a place in our ecclesiology. And this is where I land on the whole area of, of making disciples. Yeah. Because Jesus says, I will build my church. And he says to us, go and make disciples. Right. And so what, what church planning movements and disciple making movements around the world are seeing. And again, a lot of this is in the 1040 window. And a lot of this is in restricted access countries where you can't have a big, you know, big building with a lot of people coming to your building to worship. But, but what they're seeing is they're seeing that they're serious about making disciples, about discipleship. So that when Acts 2 happened, between that moment, and I think it's when uh, 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 Philip is, Stephen, Stephen is stoned. Yeah. There's no mention of the word ecclesia. In fact, when Stephen is stoned, there's the mention of ecclesia. But that ecclesia was the ecclesia in the wilderness in the Old Testament. And then it was later on in Antioch that you begin to see the word ecclesia. Mm -hmm. I think the early disciples were a discipleship making empowerment. That the, yeah, no, don't, don't burn me at the stake. Okay. Don't burn me at the stake, John, on this. I'm just saying 
disciple making was in the heart of their minds because that's what Jesus had left them with before he that's right. ascended into heaven. Yeah. Right. And so Pentecost was to empower us to make disciples. Pentecost is meant to be that empowerment so that I can go up to someone and I can pray for them and I can see them healed and I can say, do you want to know the Jesus that just encountered you? And they say yes, and you lead them to Christ and you baptize them. And then you have them journey along with you to the next person. And all along, you're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And just in me, as I've put this idea of, and I'm not the first one to do it. I'm not the only one to do this. There's whole groups out there that are doing this. And yeah, I can say that I've drank the Kool-Aid. But I'm also not saying that the other Kool-Aid is bad. Do you mm -hmm. hear me? I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And if there's anyone else that wants to join what we're doing, hop on board. That's good. And I and what I'm hearing, David, is a very exciting and a compelling approach. And I think what I'm hearing you say too, and then I'm gonna ask you to just pray over us and pray an impartation. But what I'm hearing you say really is, is that you can plant a church but you may not necessarily make disciples. But if you make yes. disciples, you'll probably end up with a church. Yeah. So what, what, because uh, I've done this and I've coached, I've coached church planters for uh, 20 years and I've actually coached church planters in this, this idea of putting, grabbing a core team of Christians so that you can have a church. And that's how you plant churches. You create a core team of Christians. Yeah. so that you can launch your Sunday service. Yeah. And one of the struggles with that is that discipleship quite often doesn't happen. Correct. Not only that, but you've actually grabbed disciples from other people's churches, <laughs> followers in other people's churches to bring together to do that. What I'm saying is, well, what if we just make disciples and let the church arise? That's provoking, isn't it? It's good. Why don't you close us off in prayer, David? I think you've, you've got a lot of wisdom. I think like you've said before, there's a lot more for future podcasts and I'm sure Michael will want to have that take place again. But Yeah. Well, I hope he, uh, I hope he's okay. I hope he listens to this and. Well, I didn't, he I didn't hear any heresy. Dude. <laughs> so. <laughs> but I hear some challenge. I think what my heart is, is that we're all challenged and we really go before the Lord and say, yeah. Lord, give us the blueprint because there's room for various blueprints. It will be unique yeah. to your location. That's, to your right. That's, and, That's all I'm saying. And there's freedom in it. But let's be That's making disciples. And yeah. in the making of disciples, churches will be planted. And yeah. we will see the Habakkuk 2.14, which is also the Ephesians 1. 22 that you and I spoke come on here. yeah that's right that's Maybe there right? share that real quick and then pray over us so Ephesians uh, 1 22 23 it says and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him so the church the body is the fullness of him who fills all in all Jesus is filling all in all. Jesus is working towards the goal of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth. Yeah. And he wants to do that through his church, his body, where he's the head.
Yes. And so when I read this, like I get excited about this. I was I was told once, Jesus told me this. So this is a crazy moment when you have this with the Lord. He said to me, David, you pray little prayers. He, he told me that. He said, David, you, you pray little prayers. And uh, so therefore you get little things. He says, you need to build a faith that will pray big prayers so that you get big things. Yeah. And uh, that led me to resign my church in Baltimore or in uh, uh, in Bowie to go to Baltimore to see God do these amazing things, begin connecting with amazing people. And so, yeah, like Jesus, Lord, may we stop praying little prayers. That's right. May we pray big prayers. May we pray the prayer to you, Jesus, what will it take? What will it take for the glory of the Lord for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to be known all over the earth. What will it take for the church, which is your body, to fill everything in every way? Show us what it will take and set our hearts to a place of obedience to do what you ask us to do. So Lord, I just I just bless everyone who will hear this podcast. My heart is just that people's thinking would be shifted even just a little bit to a greater vision. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to add to that. Lord, I pray like David started with, that there would be such a release of signs and wonders in our yes, midst. Yes, God. We might seem and see ourselves as little small people, but Lord, it's just little tiny mustard seed faith. And would you ignite it and Lord, release the miraculous, release heaven on earth wherever your disciples lay the soles of their feet in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I bless you all and I bless you, David. Thank you for sharing. That, Amen. Was, that was awesome. Really deep, really good. Thank you, everybody. Bye for now.